You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radiocoms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Another great week we have coming up here. I'm so excited for this episode. We have Eric Holdeman on here. Eric, is, you should probably recognize his name and his face because if you look at anything related to emergency management, especially Emergency Management Magazine over the last several years, Eric is one of the lead, if not the lead, if, as far as I, as I know, uh, editor over there. And so he's been putting out column after column after column. He has about 500,000 people read his columns every year. He also, also owns and operates Disaster Zone, which you can see on the screen behind him. Another podcast that's really great information. So I'm excited to have Eric on here and to hear his thoughts on on uh, emergency management. Eric, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, John. We've been wanting to do this uh, previously, and I'm going to be happy to reciprocate and have you on the Disaster Zone podcast. And to my editor at Emergency Management Magazine, I have to say I'm I'm blogging on their (laughs) site. So those are uh, not columns, they're blogs. But I then also do write some actual articles for them, do some interviews, that type of thing. Well, you, you have a lot of articles on there. You've been doing it for quite a while. In fact, if you go look at the repository of the articles you've written or the blogs you've written, I mean, it's quite extensive. And so you have, you've had this great opportunity where you get to dive in deep into emergency management for a long time, right? Yeah, um, it goes back to 2007. Oh my gosh. So yeah, you've, and you've, because of that, you also get to see how emergency management has been slowly changing and creeping into new areas. Um, and with that, um, I got to see a quick preview of an article that you wrote for IAEM, um, specifically addressing that. So we'd like to talk about the phases of emergency management today and your perceptions or your, your experience relating to collaboration and I'm working with different stakeholders today. Um, so let's just dive in, um, in terms of your, I don't know, let's say last 14 years of writing posts and like looking at this comprehensively. What are some takeaways for you in emergency management? Where is emergency management heading based off of the history it has? 
Well, you used the word creeping. I think that's a good word. <laughs> We're creeping. Um, uh, there's a lot of progress being made, uh, but I say that our profession is still in its tweens. I mean, it was only 1979 when FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, was uh, created. It, you know, emergency management came out of the civil defense era. Uh, it's only been about the last five or six years that we've had some states like Hawaii mm. and Idaho change their name from state civil defense over to emergency management. So it's evolving, but uh, a lot of times we do kind of get whipsawed by what the current hot topic is nationally. Uh, yeah. We certainly, we gyrate towards whatever the last big disaster uh, was, whether it's 9-11, Katrina, Sandy, uh, you name it. Yeah, I, I, call, I like to call those sifting events. Like, there's so much in the pile of what emergency management is, and somehow we're both expanding and figuring it like what we really are at the same time. And so like for all those different ingredients in the, in the sifter right now, each major event that's shaking that happens, we get to see like the new aspect of what the expectation is for our field from the outside perspective. For example, when Congress made the national teams, uh, but we also get to figure out like what our true capabilities are. I just had Kevin Coleman on the show and Kevin was talked about all, all about how the pandemic was like, they literally invented the playbook. They invented the titles. They invented all these different things to make that happen. That happens so much in our field, right? Like one day we have to like stop inventing new things and just like develop it more. Right. Then, well, they... I, I, and I think people ignore the planning that's been done. Um, mm. I know I, I was still at, King County, Washington State, where I was the emergency management director there for 11 years. But 2007, we were working on pandemic flu planning. And there's a whole playbook all established for that. Um, I say there's a couple curveballs that we never planned for in the past uh, on a pandemic. One of them was testing. Testing was not a big thing that we Hmm. had in the plan. And the whole issue of personal protective equipment and the supply and the shortage and everybody thought, well, we got the national stockpile and that solves it. Well, we found out that was a poor assumption. So I, you know, but a lot has been done and sometimes people don't read the plan even as you're getting ready for the actual hazard. If you, if you have time to anticipate that. What's shocking to me is that like, how do I say this? Like as much as I get it, I understand why, because it's a uh, pandemic is slow onset. And so for, it's hard for people to see, but the fact of like, there's been just so much false information and rhetoric around like that. We're actually in a pandemic, even like having to convince people that there's an actual pandemic right now has been a mountain of a task for so many emergency managers. It's, it's almost unbelievable I, I, I told I one of my after actions for this pandemic was uh, or is I mean we're still discovering it is that the educational system has officially failed because we have the most educated population in history more people have college degrees more people have had access to education than in the history of the world and yet you still have to explain to people the purpose of wearing a mask or like you can't see the pandemic or that there's not microchips in the vials so it's like Man, people are dumb, yeah. dude. <laughs> we, we could spend a lot of time on this. I mean, 10 years ago, we were worried about rumor control. That, that was the concept. Mm. And 
a big advocate for use social media to mine so you know what's being said. It used to be you had to watch television, listen to radio, see what the media is saying, and then you'd provide accurate facts to counter misinformation uh, that just happens in a rapidly developing event. But in the last oh, four or five years, it, it's moved from rumor control to disinformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's the big thing here, where people on purpose know what they're doing, and they're sowing seeds of distrust and not misinformation, disinformation. And they do it to make money, to get clicks for the website. Uh, it's, it's a big difference now. The multimedia, uh, uh, there's people like us out there who could be trying to make money just by coming up with conspiracy theories and selling it, and there's always somebody seeming to buy it. I had to, st- I had to, con- I, I, I rarely, if ever, even comment or uh, or whatever to anybody's post because I understand understand how the algorithm algorithm works. If I like or I comment on it, then more people see it. So I usually leave those stuff alone. But I actually had a friend at the beginning of the pandemic. She shared that the virus lived in people's mouths, and the virus can only sustain a certain temperature. So if you drink boiling water, you will not get the the virus and she shared some bogus report and I'm like, man, like the fact that like there's some idiot out there who shared that. And then my friend who has a college degree, again, stupidity college degree and shares, you should drink boiling water. You know, it's just like, Holy crap. So I had to like contact her and like, Hey, you got to take that off right now. You're going to get somebody hurt. If not yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Hydroxychloroquine. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, number one, number one (laughs) treatment there, folks. Hey, bleach. Nah. Oh, man. There's, we could go into this forever. So yeah. let's yeah. not get into that too much. But, like, you're right. Misinformation, disinformation is real. I remember taking um, a PIO, public information officer course, in, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And it was, we called it room and control at the time. People just misunderstanding or getting excited about information. And now it's definitely a whole new ball game. And so, um, Luckily, there's people out like you who are writing factual blog posts um, all about this, so that's good. Um, but like another one from the vaccination uh, or from uh, the pandemic, you said in 2007 you worked on a playbook. In 2000, yeah, for, for pandemic, yeah, for pandemics, flu, flu pandemic. Okay, yeah. for flu pandemics. In 2014, I was part of a task force that wrote a national um, playbook, a national plan for a pandemic response. And by the end of February of 2020, all my friends in D.C. were like, hey, by the way, we're not following that plan. And they are reinventing the real wheel. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, man, I wonder how many people have worked on this. I will say, you know, albeit all of that, we didn't consider mass vaccination sites. We didn't consider mass testing. And like the projects, my friends like Kevin Coleman and, and Joe Delamura at FEMA that they had to work with and the conditions that they're working under, it's just pretty much pretty phenomenal of what they were able to accomplish. Um, but that, that kind of opens up that, that thought process of, okay, all these different people, you were working on one aspect. I was working on another aspect. They have new constraints that they're considering now. It feels siloed. From a person who has been so involved in the process, from uh, emergency management practitioner to writing about this, tell us about the coordination piece that needs to happen, not in just the pandemic, but kind of every disaster. 
Well, I, I really got, and when I talk about coordination, I'm thinking about regional coordination uh, to that. And uh, the silo piece is our, how we organize politically, whether you're a city or a county. And I, I would say you can tell how a emergency management organization thinks about themselves and thinks about regional by looking at their maps. And you're a GIS guy. Uh, almost every map I see posted on a wall somewhere has the jurisdiction as an island. There is nothing beyond the, the actual <laughs> jurisdictional boundaries of where they are, but that's, that's just horse pucky in, in my mind. We got to think regionally. And for me, you define a region by one that shares a common population, people commute, move, a common transportation system, and a common business base. Mm. Uh, here for Washington State, I'm in western Washington. Uh, over half the state's population is in three or four counties. And that's the heartbeat, that's the economic engine, and that's the region. And that's one of the reasons the transportation system, when they do projects now, they're thinking more regionally. But we've got to do that not just for transportation. We have to do it for emergency management, for planning, to kind of get out of the box. And that means expanding who are the partners who we are actually working with. And yes, it includes the private sector. For us to be just looking at, from a government solution standpoint, uh, you know, we're headed down the wrong path. We need to engage uh, with everybody. And, and I go into a lot of reasons why people do that. Um, sometimes it has to do with personalities of who's next door or uh, mm. who you, you can't seem to get along with, that type of thing. Yeah, our our field is so small, it is majorly d defined by the relationship. But emergency managers should be really good at relationships because uh, I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, emergency manager is a mis misnomer. Uh, it's really our emergency coordinators. The best emergency manager is the right. best coordinator in the room. And so if you can't get along with people, then you kind of suck at your job, right? So yeah, I, I, I say we're facilitators. Ooh, I like and, that. Uh, the, the other piece of it is we lead without authority. So uh, we're expected to lead, but we have no direct authority. We can't compel people, especially on a regional basis. Mm. You can't go to the mayor or the executive and say, I need a memo telling the department. No, we're talking about the folks in the other county over. We're talking about the private sector. Mm. So when you lead, you're leading without authority. I think that's a major piece. And, and it's a misnomer. I think a lot of people think, well, emergency managers, that's the command center. Now, there's, there's no commanding. There's a lot of coordination, information sharing that goes on at the emergency operation center. I prefer the term emergency coordination center mm. because it's descriptive what, of what happens in that facility. I think we're going to be talking a little bit more about this on your show, about like the meaning of things. But uh, I actually think whoever came up with the term emergency management was a genius because it makes everybody else think that that person is actually in charge of them. But they're actually not. So, like, oh, he's the emergency manager. Like, oh, that, listen to that guy. But actually, at the end of the day, like, oh, by the way, I don't have any authority to tell you what to do. I just kind of hope you do yeah. it. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. Sorry, my favorite movie. I haven't bought it. I should. It's Volcano. <laughs> and this is with Tommy Lee Jones. In Chicago? Volcano. And in, in L.A. He oh, in L.A., yeah. And then there's this lava flow coming down the street. And there's all these firefighters there. White hat, chief, right? 
and Tommy Lee gets in the gift. Okay, move these Jersey Bears around. Then we have this uh, fleet of helicopters dropping water on it, spraying water on it. And it, it isn't the humor of trying to stop a lava flow with water. The humor is fire chiefs listening to the emergency manager <laughs> direct them what to do. Give me a break. I, I, we actually saw the movie in the theater, and I was laughing out loud. And my wife said, stop it. People are looking. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a ridiculous plug here because that is hilarious. I have I have a podcast with Todd DeVoe and Patrick McGinn called Movie R, Movie After Action Review, where we yeah. look at disasters that happen in movies and we kind of like kind of make fun of it, like like uh, what happens if like the yeah you know if they had the Marshmallow Man in New York if he blows yeah. up. What happens is like people clean that up. Is it is it a, is it a public health issue? Like how do you do? And so like bring in the graham crackers and chocolate Hershey's. Chocolate yeah, exactly. Yeah. Citywide s'more night. Um, yeah, but we've we looked at volcano. We've looked at a couple different movies. One of which is um, another hilarious one is San Andreas. Um, uh, yeah, is that the one where they lower the FEMA? director into the whole set off the atomic bomb no that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) i Uh, thought that was a great idea especially if this is joe elbaugh oh my gosh (laughs) wait hold on hold on i have something for it uh wait for it um there we go here we go one more time there you go um that's hilarious no this one is uh with the rock and like he's a first responder And he's going to the dam on a helicopter and he hears like his family's in trouble. So he straight up steals the helicopter, hijacks three cars. He breaks like 18 federal and state laws um, and completely abandons his post. And yet it's like all okay at the end because he has his wife and kid. And I'm like, "Uh oh, that's not that's not good advice. But um, that's awesome. uh, The Rock was the uh, number one guy and people. It wasn't the sexiest man. It was. Uh, what makes America great, I think, or something like that. And Rock was number one. So. <laughs> well, he we uh, stiff competition. Well, you know what? Um, bring it on because uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can take that guy. I'm pretty sure. Um, that's hilarious. So going back to the the conversation um, of of the coordination piece and uh, like the next phases, in terms of. I mean, you've already you've already called it out, right? It should be emergency coordination center. We we've started to, we're starting to look at like the epidemiology of emergency management, and emergency management has depending on who you talk to, either four phases or five phases. Some people call it the preparedness cycle, or you know, if you're in FEMA, which is kind of stupid, by the way, because you don't prepare to respond, you actually respond. Other people say it's it's for, you know, planning, mitigation, response, recovery. You recently wrote about this. Um, tell us more about your thoughts on, on the topic. Well, I, I lived through the whole thing of the first change that happened. And this is the, how the pendulum swings is after 9-11, uh, FEMA got inserted in the Department of Homeland Security. And we took as a profession a hard right turn because 9-11 towards terrorism only. And the initial push was to replace the word mitigation with prevention. Mm. And there was a lot of pushback from emergency managers just across the, the board uh, to do that. And uh, finally, they acquiesced and uh, prevent, it was prevention and mitigation 
was allowed to coexist, uh, mm. if you will. But then they brought in this word uh, protection, which I, I don't know when that came in, but substituting preparedness with the word protection. And I, I don't see the connection there at all. And my big thing is I ask emergency managers all the time, what are the phases of emergency management? And they give me, you know, planning, mitigation, planning, or preparedness, response, and recovery. I ask FEMA people what are the phases, and they give me the four phases, yet the doctrine that's written today has five phases. Mm-hmm. That's five. Uh, prevention and protection, but nobody knows it. And I, I, I think in this case, ignoring it is a great idea. <laughs> well, you know why it's in there, the true reason, right? I mean, when we folded under DHS, DHS basically said, well, you're in our agency now, and so if you're a sub-agency, then this is one of the things you do. The problem is that with that, and, and t- speaking of culturally, d- depending on who you talk to, some agencies are actually starting to require emergency managers to carry a weapon. That's happening in yeah. Philadelphia. So, like, really? yeah. So, like, the uh, we even talked about it at a federal agency I had in D.C. I actually know another emergency manager who's on this show who is the emergency management uh, uh, coordinator or director for another federal agency. And they hired him because of his special forces background. And, um, they wanted him to implement, um, the security aspect to emergency management because again, going back to an earlier point, our field is driven by both internal and by political. And the people who hear about emergency managers expect us to be also responders. And so they st- they set the precedence of we want somebody with security background, then that's what they're going to focus on because that's where the money's going. And so you have yeah. all these conflicting, uh, you know, uh, ideas and methodologies. Our field is still so much. You say twins, I say infancy. Yeah. I, th- I think I think twenty thirty, uh, we will kind of have a really good foundation of what should be. And then 2040 universities by then will catch up to like having a standardization of what well, it should be. I, that's another long conversation. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> it reminds me of, I, I took over uh, exercise in planning at the state of Washington um, when uh, yeah, I started there and probably about nine, I started in 91, but became a supervisor and then unit manager. But, um, it was the first directors meeting where local directors came and we, we had the arr, type of, uh, <laughs> local emergency manager was not, didn't like state at all. And, and, uh, this particular person, well, what is the status of our exercise and training program in the state, which had been none, actually none, zero. Mm. And, um, I said, well, there's uh crawl, walk, run. And right now we're kind of sitting up. Uh, sitting up straight and drooling on ourselves. That's our current status. You know, so, mm. I mean, it, it, when you talk about infancy, uh, starting from the, the, the bottom. The there wasn't up. a public education program either in 1991 Washington State. So. Every federal agency in the United States is required to have a designated emergency coordinator by law. Most federal agencies... The designated emergency coordinator is not the emergency manager. In fact, some do actually have emergency managers. It's usually the head of maintenance. (laughs) That person person knows the facility so well that they should be able to talk to first responders. And I'm like, hey, by the way, 
Maybe the emergency managers should know the facility so well and speak the language of the first responder so that there was an incident, they do direct yeah. coordination. But even then, I mean, there's there, there's so much methodology and personal opinion um, that we need to flush that out. And I think it's time for our field to start saying, hey, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. And it's so hard to do that, especially because we, we deal with politics so much. But... You know, it, it's kind of kind of the name of the game. When we when we can't define it as a as a field, then it, yeah. it just it opens it up much more to like, well, then I'm going to define it for you. Yeah, and and I, I always say there's these well-meaning people who came in or come in the new administration, uh, political appointees, which are okay. That's how the system works. But they all want to say, well, uh, what can I do that's new and different, and what can I change? because they, they don't want to do what's been done before. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to a lot of the change we see. I, I've listened to a podcast about UFOs. I, I listen to New York Times the Daily. And the guy was saying, well, no, they're not called UFOs anymore. They're UAPs, mm-hmm. Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Do you think that's going to catch on, you know, with the public? I think it's going to be UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> if you start talking about UAPs, nobody's going to know what you're talking about. It's nice that you came up with the term, but ditch it. Use the UFOs. Use terminology people can understand. Well, we had that problem. Yeah, we had that problem with technology and tools. You talk to depending on the generation and their level of yeah. technology use. Every company out there wants to put like their own, like where's the freaking play button? It used to be a triangle facing, yeah, you know, facing right. Now you got to figure out like, you know, is it a circle triangle, a hexagon, is it a four dimensional creature? You know, like you just try to like figure out like what things are now. Um, I I think that's the same process that you described there. We're, we're going to make it different because I'm being paid to make it different. So I got to come up with something new. Yeah. In fact, one of the, um, to Patrick McGinn's credit, who's been on the show, he's the director of Salvation Army for Northern California and Nevada. Uh, he's definitely a thought leader in the space and he's like, Hey, as much as humanly possible, the, the um, emergency managers benefit from using other emergency managers templates. Like don't think you have to re- reinvent the wheel. You, you, you create, start creating standardization so we can all just increase yeah. and be able to, 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 to monkey see monkey do is fine. And it's one of the, <laughs> the thing about our profession, by the way, that I really like that. Emergency managers, in general, you can never say always, right? But in general, are willing to share everything they got. If I've walked into a, a city or a county, another state, and said, "Hey, I'm doing research on. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, can you show me what you do? Can I get a copy of that document?" We give our our information away. We don't hoard it. There's no FOIA of what mm. we're doing, and that's a great cultural aspect of uh, emergency management. I think. I can tell you a quick story on that is we had the Nisqually earthquake happen and we rapidly put out an after action report on that. And I heard from another County saying, Hey, we love that. Could you send us you know, a digital copy of it so we could use that format? And as we did, Hey, we're happy to share. Anyway, when we got it back, they did a jurisdictional name change, but everything else was the same. Hilarious. They activated at the same, exactly our time, but the thing was, was exactly what we did. Um, so uh, we don't, can't copy something perfectly. No, and don't plagiarize, but you can, yeah, te- templating is okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny. I'm okay for templates. I'm not okay for cookie cutter. This is the problem. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I run a private emergency management group called Doberman, yeah. and uh, we are hardcore against cookie cutter because I've gotten so many plans where it's like, it's like a brick, like half of it's just definitions. Like I reviewed a, going back to that Philadelphia, I reviewed a FEMA region three. I'm super calling out FEMA region three right now. I reviewed a FEMA region three strategic plan for disasters. They hired a contractor. This is when I worked for FEMA and it was 2000 pages and I opened it up and half of it was definitions and I'm, and I'm starting to go through the definitions and I'm like, okay, they have a definition for a volcano in here. Like in Philadelphia, like, first of all, we don't have volcanoes in Philadelphia. Second of all, the fact that you're even bringing that up and like having to define like these really basic stuff, like I'm sure they got seven figures this company, but it was worthless. And so like our company's like, okay, GIS, we're going to pump in data. We're going to pump in all this stuff, creating a template that's really clean, but all of it should be unique to the region. I like how you said that region earlier. Um, by the way, one of your metrics on um, working populations, really fascinating to think about. One of the map products I would always have to make or choose to make is uh, daytime versus nighttime population because it allows you to see how much how many people work in that area. Right. It right. also allowed us to see the scope of how far they would come, a family would come if a family member was impacted, uh, you know, at a school or something. So yeah. really fascinating you brought that up. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Actually, there's a project going on. You know, we could talk for days, I think, John, but there's a project going on out, out here called CPODs, Community uh, Points of Distribution, and um, this is being orchestrated for an eight-county region's regional catastrophic preparedness grant, and mm. uh, Snohomish County, which is north of King County, is leading this effort. They hired a contractor and includes a lot of mapping. But one of the key dynamics they looked at is uh, daytime, nighttime population because you're going to be tra- in an earthquake kind of trapped wherever you are when that happens. So we're looking at food availability, stores, that type of thing, based on the different population metrics. So that's the exact uh, type of use of the, the information you just talked about. That's awesome. Uh, it shows that like coordination and learning how other people use the same data can really impact so many different areas. Um, well, we're, we're running out of time here pretty soon, but I just want to like call out that uh, one disaster zone, another pitch for disaster zone. Everybody should tune into that. But um, really fascinating topic to think about the holistic approach of emergency management. What are the phases? What do we call it? How do we approach it? How does that coordination piece? And you and I just started scratching the surface uh, on this conversation. Maybe we'll continue it on to, onto your podcast for sure. Um, but, uh, I, I got something I'd like to share before we go. Yeah, absolutely. Closing thoughts, please. And just on this whole issue of regional, like I talked about, it's, it's invitational. You can't compel anybody. Uh, I could tell you another funny story, but I won't. Please do. No, no, no. We got time. Say it. (laughs) No, no. Working with a large metropolitan city, uh, here in in Washington state, wherever that could be, but I'll, I'll eliminate that, but you can't compel people. So, all you can do is invite. Uh, I found one of the ways you can engage people is just keep giving them information. You know, they're not giving you anything back, but give them information, establish a relationship uh, to the thing. And yet, sometimes you can't burst through that. But I, I tell folks, well, look, 
there's a lot of movement in the force. People uh, quit jobs, or they change jobs, they get fired, they get promoted, they die. You know, <laughs> you can wait them out. You know, maybe the, the next person will be much more receptive to, to working with you. That's, that's one. The other is, um, it's a man- military maneuver called isolate and bypass is you can't ram yourself through someone who you have no authority of. So just go around them. And I'd always tell my staff, go where there's energy. If, if they're not interested, then fine. You're good. We're good. We're just going to go around you and work with those people who want to be. And you can't be confrontational because a lot of those personality types, they love the confrontation. So uh, the other thing I used to tell my uh, staff is friends come and go, enemies you keep forever. So just go along, get along. But uh, there's that. And lastly, I've seen it work where you can use other people supporting your effort to convince them that they should be participating. So you don't, you're not doing the work. They see the positive nature of what's going on and they convince the other person they should be involved. Uh, in it. So those just some tips when you feel frustrated on trying to work regional. Okay. Well then I have to ask you one more question based off of all that. Yes. So we talked a lot about like where the, the, the field is going and you just talked about how to work with people what is the, in terms of the future of emergency manager, what would you like to see in the next 10 years in terms of our field? Uh, big things here. Um, one is I, on a state level, I do not think, I'm sure I'm going to uh, please a lot of people here, that emergency management being aligned with the National Guard is the best alignment. Um, People make that decision and make that alignment because they think disasters are all about response. But if we're talking about disaster resilience, resilience is all about mitigation. That's not in the National Guard or military culture. I came out of a 20-year infantry officer uh, career. I thought emergency management was all about planning and response Mm. from that standpoint. So having alignment under the chief executive officer is the best place to be. Can you be functional and successful in other places? Yes. But when you have a culture of response, that's the national, you know, we're here, we got specialized equipment, we're here to save the day. And they like that attention. Uh, you're going to end up being trapped in the response cycle. I think that's one. Um, mm-hmm. Climate change is going to change our world. You know, more frequent, more severe uh, disasters. All you got to do is look, you know, just when we say if it bleeds, it leads. Well, if it floods, if it burns, it's in the news. And so we're going to become much more critical to the functioning of our communities and our states overall. And there's much more awareness now of the cost of uh, disasters, and that will help drive more attention towards mitigation. I think mitigation is going to be huge. We got some money coming for it, but a billion dollars spread over the United States for the building and structure resilient communities is it's not a lot, even though it sounds like a lot. But we have to take what we can and uh, make lemonade out of it. I like that. Um, in fact, I always add my two cents. And here's my two cents to both to, to two comments. I believe that mitigation is the most focused thing that we should be we working on. Meaning, spending most of our amount of our time. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. 
Mitigation is the thing that we should be spending most of our amount of time on. However, response it will always be the most important function of emergency management because if we can't stop everything, then you got to be able to save lives when it comes down to it. Nothing's more important than trying to coordinate, uh, you know, uh, you know, tools in a response. And so, if we can pair those two thoughts up, they are not conflicting. Yeah. Spend most right. of your time mitigating disasters, and the ones that you can't, you got to be really, really good at response. And so, mitigation yeah. should be king. Never forget response, and uh, you'll probably be successful. The other end of that spectrum, here's I'm going to say it on this show. So if anybody else uh, comes up with this idea, I can say it. I said it on the air. Here's my <laughs> okay. super radical idea to deal with uh, the major droughts, okay? East Coast gets way too much water. In fact, Maryland was taxing people for the amount of water that rained on their property, which is a really corrupt idea, by the way. Anyways, uh, if, they, if we could create a system where we trap all the water from a hurricane and move that water to the West coast through giant canals, then everybody wins. That's my big grand crazy idea. So somebody okay. figures out how to do that. Either way. Right, so I'm going to give you my one cent reaction to what you said earlier. <laughs> and then we'll go, we'll go down to a half a cent. Yeah. Um, now I got to think about what I was going to say. Mitigation uh, and, uh, okay. and response. I, I yeah. tell local emergency managers and, state people, but more local, is um, if you don't want to get fired, you got to have a plan and you got to be able to respond because that's the expectation that's there. And the other biggie is don't screw up a warning because warnings that are screwed up are very public events. So keep your job, have a plan, respond well, don't screw up a warning. I love that. Actually, that's, uh, that's probably the quote for the show. So uh, I will say this. Thanks again, Eric, for coming on the show. Check out Disaster so Zone. I will be on Eric's show as well, and so you can check out there. We're going to continue the conversation. Um, if you like this show, which you should have, you can do a couple of different things. One, you should give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Two, if you have a question for Eric specifically, you can do a couple of different things. Unlike most of our shows, you can actually reach out disaster, uh, directly to the Disaster Zone uh, and through Eric, and we'll put that in the show notes how to do that. Um, but you can also um, uh, tag Eric in the disaster zone um, in our social media feeds, whether it's uh, Doberman Emergency Management or Disaster Tough. You can also send us an email. If you don't want to, if you got to be shy, that's fine. Send us an email at info at DobermanEMG.com. We'll forward that on to Eric and so he can reply to you directly. But check us out each week. We have great content. If you want an emergency manager to help you out on a project you're, you're working on, contact us. Again, info at DobermanEMG.com. And we'll see you next week.